verses 1 through 7. So if you can open your Bibles. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Verse 2. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. May the Lord bless the, lead, the reading of his word. You may be seated. One of the um, announcements that wasn't made this morning on purpose, but I'm going to make it. Uh, we are planning to celebrate in the fall our 75th anniversary as a church, a great milestone in the life of a church. And so uh, we are looking for someone to head up the committee for that celebration. So I encourage you, if you are interested in that, to reach out to the office and let them know that you're willing to either be on or head up that committee. The chapter and verse divisions of the Bible were created well after the first millennium. The chapters were divided in the 11th century, uh, with the verses being divided as we know them today more in the 14th century. And while the divisions are still in use, they don't always line up exactly. And so as we look at the beginning of chapter 12, it probably belonged more with chapter 11 than chapter 12. However, I'm sure that um, many are grateful because last week's sermon on Mother's Day went exceedingly long. It would have been so much longer um, had I had that many more verses to teach on last week. Uh, and last week, of course, we looked at the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and of the lawyers as Jesus confronted them in their practices. Uh, they had overlooked the most important thing that God requires, namely relationship. They had focused on the important details. They had focused on the letter of the law, but they had forgotten about the relationship uh, with the Lord. And we see in 1 Samuel 15, God had, uh, in 1 Samuel, commanded the people to go out against the Amalekites and to destroy them and, and to not leave anyone living, not 
the king Agog, not the animals, not anybody. They were just supposed to wipe the Amalekites off of the planet. Um, but of course, uh, Saul, uh, being the good king he was, brought Agag back, King Agag back to Israel. He brought the best of the spoils under the auspices that they were going to then uh, uh, sacrifice the best of their animals to the Lord. But the problem is, God didn't tell them to do that. Instead, what he said is, go and destroy everyone, destroy everything, just wipe them off of the planet. And, of course, it ends badly. Uh, in verse 22, uh, we are reminded that God prefers obedience over sacrifice. He wants relationship over the letter of the law. And so first we look at today, sin creates distance between us and God. I don't think that's a secret. Most of us are fully aware that when we blow it, all of a sudden we're like, ah, I'm having a hard time connecting with the Lord. And that's because sin creates that distance. Because Saul sinned against God, even though his intentions may have been good, God removed him from being king over Israel because he had disobeyed him. Many generations later, the Pharisees are stuck in the same rut. In, a, in an attempt to keep the people on the right course, they've uh, taken the law of the Lord and they've greatly expanded it. The Mishnah is, is thousands of pages of, of every little law you can imagine. They're like, if we just put enough laws, the people will not stray from the Lord. When you're focused more on the religion than on the relationship, you are more likely to sin which then reinforces that lack of relationship. It's the same way in the life of every believer. Luke 12.1 says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, First, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And if you've ever made bread, you know what leaven is. It's the yeast, and you, you put in all your ingredients, and you mix it together, and you throw in the leaven, and all of a sudden your dough goes from being this big to being this big. It, it expands it. It causes it to grow. And he is drawing this analogy that this hypocrisy that has taken hold in the lives of the Pharisee, Pharisees and the lawyers quickly spreads to everyone around. Wherever Jesus goes, uh, people are following him. Probably they want to see the next miracle. Oh, that we would want to probably hear as much as they did his next words. And so they find out he's at the Pharisee's house. The Pharisee, remember, had invited him over for dinner. And then 
they were appalled because Jesus didn't ceremoniously wash his hands. And Jesus says, oh, you fools, you take care of washing the outside of the dishes, but the inside of the dishes are still filthy and dirty. We could certainly judge the people's desire. They want to see a sign. They're pressing in this man who he heals the sick and he casts demons out. But it's hard for us to judge them harshly because what they want is to be closer to Jesus. They want to hear his words. They want to see what he does. Number two, uh, we're to guard ourselves against sin. Why do we guard ourselves against sin? We guard ourselves against sin because sin creates distance between us and God. And so we're to guard ourselves from that. But certainly, as Jesus addresses his disciples and those around, he says, beware of this hypocrisy which is leaven. Ironically, our society has quickly embraced those things that thrive on hypocrisy. If you remember last week, I, I defined hypocrisy literally uh, a hypocrite means an actor, someone who's playing someone other than themselves. And our society has attached itself to things that thrive on hypocrisy. Uh, we love things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and other social media platforms. I don't know if you're familiar with the show Catfish, right? And this idea of catfishing. Does anyone here not, I mean, you know what a catfish is, but do you not know what it means to be catfish? There are a few people, okay. So to be catfish, it's like when you meet someone on Facebook and they'll show a picture of themselves, but then come to find out they look in totally, totally different. They don't drive a Ferrari. They drive a Pinto. Um, they don't live in Beverly Hills. They live in Newport, Kentucky. Um, their parents aren't millionaires. They... You know, who, they're, you're, you've been catfished. It's someone entirely different than who you thought. It's a hypocrite. Literally someone who says, this is who I am, and indeed this is who they really are. On social media, you can be anyone you want to be. Allowing others to see parts of you that maintain the narrative that you want them to see. And we're kind of used to this because Washington, all of Washington, uses this approach. They tell us what they want us to hear, but never the whole story. Um, and often that is true of a hypocrite. They'll tell us these little snippets that give us this picture of who they are, but they never actually tell us this is who we are. When the pandemic hit, we were all forced to enjoy church online for a bit. And now that it's safe, many still embrace 
online church because it's convenient. It's nice if you can sit in bed and stay in your pajamas and uh, get breakfast and, and turn, turn it on and there's Pastor John and I didn't even have to leave my house. But of course, when you're by yourself and you don't worship with the body, it's easier to not be completely transparent. There's this aspect of corporate worship that demands that we be together. It's not only so that we can worship the Lord together, but also that we're transparent. When you're talking on the phone and you say, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. But when you're looking at them eye to eye and you say, how are you? Oftentimes, their body language, their eyes, uh, their features will betray the truth. And then there's this opportunity to love on them and care for them. But over the television and over social media, that's impossible. Corporate worship is so very important. Of course, some aren't able to worship online. It certainly is better or aren't able to worship in person. It's certainly better to worship online than not at all for those who can't. And I encourage them to continue doing that. But if you're laying in bed because it's more convenient or watching it later because it's more convenient, your place is here. I had someone... See, I can't really use that word, so what word? They said, Pastor John, I wasn't in church. I want you to know my heart was in the right place. And I said, well, your heart may have been in the right place, but your hiney wasn't. I didn't use hiney. Um, I didn't use the other extreme either. I used a nice word in the middle. Luke 12, 2 says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. This strikes terror probably in the hearts of everyone. Right? Nothing is covered up that won't be revealed or hidden that will not be known. In Genesis, we see Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden. And they have sinned against God by eating the fruit which they were commanded not to eat. And later it says God is walking through the garden. And he says to Adam and Eve, where are you? And it says Adam and Eve had hid themselves. Because when we sin, we tend to hide when we're doing something we're not supposed to be doing we try to hide those parts so that we're not to be seen and we all have parts of ourselves that are not up to par we hide those parts because if the world knew at least in our minds if the world knew what was in our hearts they would never accept us they wouldn't love us. They wouldn't be our friends or care for us. 
The problem is we're all human. So we're all on equal footing. Each of us has fallen. Each of us needs a redeemer. And so it's interesting to me when I see someone in, uh, I'll just keep picking on Washington today, when you see a senator or a congressman from either party and they get caught doing whatever they're doing and quickly you see the other elected officials say, oh, well, we need to condemn this action as though most of them, if not all of them, are in any place to do that. It's just a matter of time before their secrets are revealed. And we see it happen regularly, this idea of hypocrisy. I don't want you to see my sins, so I will act the part. Speaking specifically of the Pharisees, Jesus was telling them that he knew what was happening. He knew who they were. He knew what they were saying, how they were acting. Specifically, what they were doing is there was this whole set of laws, and they were so strict at making sure that people adhered to these laws. And yet, they themselves did not. Speaking in regards to us, the facts remain the same. He knows who we are. He knows what we have done. He asks us to be transparent. In 1 John 1.9, it tells us that if we will but ask for forgiveness, He is faithful and just to and... Forgive us and cleanse us. If we are but faithful to ask, he says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In verse 3, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I'm not sure that's the wisest place to do it, but he's God, I'll trust him. Um, but imagine the things you have said will be heard by everyone. In fact, Matthew uh, chapter 12, verse 36, if you have your Bibles, you might open that. Because what Matthew 12, 36 tells us is that we will be held accountable for every careless word we speak. That's an interesting thing because it doesn't necessarily say, it tells us we shouldn't use profane language, but it tells us we're held accountable for the careless words we speak. That is often where most of us get ourselves into trouble. It is in the careless words. Most of us have found ourselves in situations where there's conversations going on and then we get engaged in conversation over here and then pretty soon it's all carried away and you're saying things, today we call it oversharing. 
things that just ought not to have been said, and maybe you'll regret them later, but you're caught up in the moment, and you're caught up in the conversation, and you utter these careless words that one day will be proclaimed from the housetop. We are held accountable for the careless words we speak. Number three, but God is faithful in His redemption. We're held accountable, even as believers, for the things that we say and the things that we do. Still, there is a difference on that day between those who have been redeemed and those who have not. Because on that day, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who will say, yes, they did that, and yes, they said that, and they are covered by my blood. And then there will be those who will say, yes, I did that, yes, I said that, but there was a really good reason. In other words, they have no defense. No redemption. No sanctification. Luke 12, verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That is something that's relegated to God alone. He says, don't worry so much about the people who can kill you dead. Don't worry about offending them. Worry more about offending God. So, on the surface, uh, if we think about this, there is this idea of what is it like? What, what is meant here? Well, if we don't play the part, right? Oftentimes, we are harshly judged literally society drives us to be hypocrites right you're supposed to act certain ways in certain settings there are certain clothes you're supposed to wear to certain events there are certain clothes you're supposed to wear to church and there are certain clothes you're not supposed to wear to church. I found that out the hard way, right? I don't know if it was Father's Day or Memorial Day or whatever, but one day I decided all the men are going to be wearing shorts. I'm a man. I should get to wear shorts. I pastored a church in the Midwest. That's not okay. Worse than that, I pastored a Baptist church in the Midwest. That is certainly not okay. More importantly, I, I pastored a conservative Baptist church in the Midwest. And then I got these letters and phone calls and pull aside saying, yeah, that's not okay. As if I didn't know. And I'm like, yeah, but I like wearing shorts. And it's like, 
And, and they weren't jean shorts, just in case you're wondering. I wasn't that old yet. So they weren't jean shorts. They were, yeah. <clears throat> he says, no. See, it's okay to be who you are. But what you should be is Christ. See, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's this change. God doesn't want us to be a hypocrite, and he doesn't want us to act badly. He wants us to be redeemed. He wants us to be who we are. He wants us to be Christians, to be little Christ. And he said, so don't worry about the people who are judging you because you refuse to be a hypocrite. Worry instead about your heart. Are you who you say you are? Are you redeemed? It's common for us to be fearful of what will happen. What if I get caught, right? What if the truth were known? What if I'm driving 90 miles an hour on 580? I'm like, okay, if you're driving 90 miles an hour, you're not on 580. If you're driving 20 miles an hour, you might be on 580. On the other side of the scale is those that fear nothing. I can do this. The worst they can do to me is write a ticket. We have seen recently this rise in crime. Many criminals know that some of the people in power will not pursue charges even under the worst of cases. Because of this, crime is out of hand. Stores are being looted, cars are being stolen, lives are being taken all in the hope that they will not be held accountable. Likewise, politicians are demanding the right to abortion up to the day of birth. People are marching. There are attempts to sway judges by intimidation. Again, demanding that the government give the okay for taking human life. Our government can okay anything they want. They can say murder's okay. They can say that uh, theft is okay. They can say that mayhem is okay. In fact, there's a series of movies in recent years built on the idea that there was one day a year that you could kill anybody you wanted and you wouldn't be held accountable for it legally. I think it was called Purge or something like this. It was justified by the state. Now, on the face of it, it was fiction. But in the light of today, it is actual reality. But God has not given such a jail, get out of jail free card. Even when the government says it's okay, we're not to fear the government. We're to fear God. The government can set its standard anywhere it wants 
God's standard is concrete. And he says, this is what the law is. This is where, this is where we have established it. And if you variate from this, you will be held accountable, regardless of who an elected official is, regardless of who the court is or the judge or the jury or the police officer or anyone else, regardless of that and whether or not they're upholding the law, God is just in that he always upholds his law 100% of the time. True fear should come from knowing that there is a God who holds us accountable. But our world has deceived itself into believing that there is no God. Even though his attributes are well known, in Romans 1, of course, it says his attributes are made known in creation. Even though he has made himself known in the very creation of the human body, but in every single aspect of creation, even though his creation screams that there is a creator, people say there is no God. We shouldn't be worried about those that have the ability to kill us, nor should we take comfort in what they allow. God is the final authority as to what is right and what is wrong. Regardless of what anyone else may say, there is a day when everyone answers to the Creator. In verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. God is omniscient. One of his attributes. Certainly one that we have a very difficult time fully comprehending. How can God know absolutely everything? Everything we do, everything we say, and yes, everything we think on top of everything else going on in the entirety of creation. And it lays this foundation. God loves us completely. Right? As we look at the greatness and the wonder of God, we can see ourselves as insignificant. He knows every aspect of his creation. Even the sparrows don't escape God's care. In verse 7, why even the hairs of your head, which doesn't impress me, are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. I'm just trying to make it easy for God. Roman tells us, Romans tells us that so great was God's love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That He loves us so much, John 3.16, that He sent His Son to die for us. Even knowing 
Every word that you say in secret, everything that you do in secret, every careless word you uttered, he knew before the foundations of the world and yet loved you so much that he was willing to send his son to die. God loves us so much that he answers each prayer and that he knows us intimately that each and every hair is accounted for. Sin creates distance between us and God. Because of that, we're supposed to guard ourselves against sin. We're not real good at that. God is faithful in His redemption. If we will just ask for forgiveness he will forgive us god loves us completely let's pray heavenly father we thank you that so great is your love for us lord that while we were yet sinners christ died for us lord as we read this we see both this warning of not being hypocrites but this understanding that that doesn't give us license to sin, but rather it calls us to walk with You. To be who You've called us to be. Not in our own strength, but in Yours. Father, we thank You that You aren't a God that just spun us into existence and left us to our own devices, but rather... You love us. You care for us. You're intimately involved in every day, every hour, every minute, every second of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.